And now, when did that come out? Part of the Real Change Movie Podcast. Thank you for hitting the download and welcome to the debut episode of When Did That Come Out? An ongoing two-man journey of covering one year of film and 12 movies that came out for every month of that year. You may know us from the new Blood Rising podcast, and if not, well, you're going to get to know us. I'm your host, Charlie Stabile, and joining me through this voyage of film and time is my long-running partner and friend, the Walter Matthau to my Jack Lemon. William Rankin. William, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. So this is a brand new experiment for us to try to branch out a bit from the wrestling podcast for those who don't know what else it is that we do. So discussing what movie we were going to do, this seemed to be the obvious choice as it was one that you grew up with and one that I just avoided for some reason. I don't really know why. This is right up my alley in terms of ridiculous 80s movie plots. But today we're going to be covering Iron Eagle from the year 1986, which is the year of my birth, which is why I wanted to do that year. Now, Iron Eagle. Will, how did you first come across this movie? Do you remember? Do you remember seeing this as a kid? Well, I sent you that picture of the VHS. That is the VHS. <laughs> my parents were definitely in the little neighborhood of, um, all right, you rent, you rent a movie from the video store and make a copy and give it to everyone else in the neighborhood. And next week, the next guy down the ha- down down the way on the street. It's your turn, Bob. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> it's time uh, to chip in. No, the VHS dubbing. So that's the, cool. Yeah, because I used to do stuff like that too, man. You got three movies on a tape. Yeah, those are those are the old days. Yeah, definitely. Now, the one thing I was going to ask you is, I'm sure you came across Iron Eagle a lot because a Family Guy. I actually just watched that clip. Okay. Uh, about 20 minutes ago, I totally forgot that they did that. Where Brian comes up with an idea for a movie and it's Iron Eagle. <laughs> and then, of course, the other ideas are Iron Eagle 2. Right. He says Iron Eagle 3. <laughs> well, I love Brian's reaction when he finds out that it's real. He goes, is that a recent movie? <laughs> there were three sequels. Yeah. We'll get to that later. But, um, no, this movie. So, I, I first heard about this movie, I think, when I was about 10 or 11. Uh, you know, the movie stars Louis Gossett Jr. And... I was subjugated in my middle school years to an awful, like, anti-drug, anti-alcohol video series that he starred in, and it was awful. It was called Straight Up, and wow. and his name was always on the front, and, and this was my introduction to him. I had no idea who he was, and then come to find out he's an Oscar winner, and that's about it, I mean, unfortunately. Let's face it. Uh, this movie, it's the same role almost well, from Officer and a Gentleman. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is sad, too, because I read that this this character that he plays, Chappie Sinclair, is based on a real life uh, character, a real life character, a man who uh, he was a Tuskegee Airman. Yeah. You know, so and it's like, oh, OK, so I'm waiting to see that influence while watching the movie. And I'm just like, well, this now, is... you know, what we need to do is go watch Red Tails. Oh, <laughs> God. No, you don't. No, you don't. There was, no, I... though. Do you remember there was a made for TV Tuskegee yes. Airman movie with Lawrence Back in the 90s. And, and Cuba? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a, the I like how the made for TV cast is far more compelling than the movie. I think Cuba made it to both. Oh, that's right. He's <laughs> he's the and credit on the <laughs> yes. George Lucas film. Yeah. I'm, 
God, not to go off topic, but I remember George Lucas going on Daily Show promoting the movie and saying, this is as close as we're ever going to get to episode seven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know. So 1986 has, this is a topic you and me used to love to discuss, and then it came up during, I believe it was Knocked Up, where they started noticing that there were certain movies that came out around the same time that were similar. You know, like Tombstone, Wyatt Earp, like stuff like that. Yeah. So here we get a, a situation where Top Gun, one of the most beloved '80s films of all time, uh, is going to come out during the same summer as Iron Eagle, and the people behind Iron Eagle panic and push their release date forward up to January. Right. Right. And Top Gun comes out in the summer does massive business not that this movie didn't do too bad though iron iron eagle was made on an 18 million dollar budget and it grossed 24 million now as you told me a few days ago this apparently has a bigger budget than top gun yeah i double checked it too after we got off the phone and i looked at it yeah they have um uh i believe it's the numbers.com i think that's a site yep, i know them mm-hmm. they've got top gun listed at 15 million the budget and Iron Eagle at 18. Well, I'll tell you, after watching Iron Eagle, I have no idea where, why the budget would be more. There is, and, and I'll, I'll get into it as we get into the movie, but like there are just certain things in this movie where it seemed like they skimped. And then there's Top Gun, which looks like a full-blown Jerry Bruckheimer big-budget summer movie. Yeah. But that's Top Gun. We're talking about Iron Eagle. Iron Eagle... It also follows this uh, trend that came out about in the 80s. You know, Ronald Reagan was the president, and everyone was like gung ho, proud to be an American. It was a good time for the country. But there were two types of war films that seemed to be coming out at the time. There was the serious anti war film that Platoon did, Casualties of War, Hamburger Hill. And then there was like, the war is not so bad. Like we, like you can, like we're America. We can do whatever we want. Like movies like Top Gun, Glory, and to a, I hate lumping this movie in, but not necessarily First Blood, but Rambo: First Blood Part Two. I mean, even uh, Red Dawn. Red Dawn. There you go. Yeah, the, you know the Ruskies. Yeah, because this movie deals with the Libyans. You know, Doc Brown's more. Well, basically, uh, they won't. Yeah, they won't call <laughs> I mean, on that, but whatever. What, that's interesting too that they wouldn't flat out that that Red Dawn could call out the Russians and that movie is far more personal uh, a story although just as ridiculous as Iron Eagle yet Iron Eagle won't reference the Libyans which I don't I don't know I can't you know I was I was I wasn't even alive at that point but anyway so we have a cast of Louis Gassett Jr. was it Jason Gedrick yeah Jason Gedrick. Uh, I recognized a few people. You got Robert Jane, who played Gedrick's younger brother, Robert Jane, our old buddy from Tremors, <laughs> the douchebag oh, yeah. <laughs> kid. <laughs> and uh, I mean, some some people that don't kind of fly under the radar a bit, like Michael Bowen, stuff like that. I was a Jerry but, Levine from uh, Je- Teen Jerry Teen Levine. Yes, yeah. yeah, Michael J. Fox's buddy. I also remember him as the guy who tricks Elaine into giving him his phone number on Seinfeld. Yes. That guy's a great eighties character actor. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is I went to his IMDB and I looked and I was like, yeah, Teen Wolf's the only other thing I recognize. Right. (laughs) No, no, no. It was his first flick too. 
and he he's great in that, and, and yeah. that's a good movie. But so Louis Gossett Jr. is the real anomaly here. He won an Academy Award for his performance just four years earlier in An Officer and a Gentleman. And the very next movie he did was Jaws 3D. That was his follow-up to that. I mean, it's, it's kind of like what Cuba Gooding Jr. did, although I can't really remember what it was after Jerry Maguire, but he followed that up with something just bizarre. But Louis Gossett Jr. would also do Enemy Mine, which is also yeah. like a Cold War movie type, even yeah. though it's science fiction. But, you know, he's his career is just strange to me because uh, he would go to do Iron Eagle and then pretty much just do the Chappie character for the rest of his career, it seems. I mean, we don't need to get political on it, but I think oh, Cuba oh, said sure it you do. not too many years ago was that, quite honestly, and the proof is in the pudding, there weren't a lot of parts for black male actors that were going to be anything more than just the token guy. I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it because I had that same thought too. I'm like wondering what kind of parts that they were even offering him at this point. Because you you just said it. He won an Oscar, and the next movie he's able to get is Jaws, the, or the Jaws or Jaws 3D. But you know what I mean. And Absolutely. Like, and and I'm I'm willing to bet that he and Morgan Freeman were just going head to head for whatever good parts there were. Mm-hmm. And I bet you just a few more times. Morgan Freeman got the upper hand. That's why he was in Glory. I bet you Louis Gossett Jr. auditioned for Glory. I I'm bet sure you. he did. Yeah. So, you know. And neither one of them appear in color purple, right? Right, right. You know, I was thinking about Stand By Me. and I was, or I'm sorry, no, Lean On Me. I apologize. Lean, Lean On, on Me. me. And yep. I was thinking about it, and I was like, I'm willing to bet Louis Gossett Jr. was right there in the running. That's really unfortunate, too. Yeah, because once the 90s hit, then Morgan Freeman cranked out. I mean, the one-two punch of Shawshank and seven. Yeah. So yeah, and then it was just Morgan Freeman is one of the greatest actors. I mean, that's that's just the aura that he was able to get from that. The uh, Iron Eagle was directed by Sidney Fury, who uh, what an interesting filmography he has. I mean, he started off making fifties B movies, <laughs> which I it's so weird for me, and I don't know how how much it happens but someone from that background making 50s b movies that would even still be directing a major motion picture in the 80s or the 90s i've seen it a few times but it just strikes me as strange that their style would adapt and for the most part it this is a pretty well directed film yeah and Um, i i pulled this article it was from february 2nd 1986 so it was right after it had been released this was from like the la times and they were interviewing him about Iron Eagle because the perception was this is a hit. And it was. I mean, when we look at numbers-wise, it, it was a profitable movie and it's it's got its following. But when it got released and they did this piece on him, he had a couple of good quotes. And one was, uh, let's make the kind of movie we would sneak into on Saturday afternoons. <laughs> and <laughs> That's then on good. top of that, he had this really – in this. There was something nice to this. He said, we knew we wanted to make a movie in which the audience could feel involved. And this seemed like the right kind of story. I admit I consciously set out to make a mass entertainment kind of picture. I did think, will millions go see this? But there's no alternative these days. Nothing else works. And there's nothing sadder than an empty theater. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> it was. I, I get it, though. Yeah. It's, it's, there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing a mainstream film. I, I, I don't think. I, I mean, the whole purpose of film, I believe, first and foremost, is to entertain. 
So, like, I mean, you can make your your arty movies. I mean, those are fine. There's a place for those too. But like, a big mainstream commercial film is is fair game. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. So, yeah, I, I mean, and it's good. It's always refreshing to hear that they are aware that they're doing that. Yeah. I mean, Spielberg has said that countless times. But uh, Jason Gedrick, uh, the only movie I, I even knew of his from before Iron Eagle was Bad Boys. Uh, the one that he did, not the Will Smith movie, the <laughs> right. one that he did with uh, Sean Penn. I, I, I remember that movie. And then there's like Heavenly Kid, which is like, oh, this is like around that just one of the guys era. Like there's a teen movie every week kind of deal. Right. I think he's yeah. in Backdraft too. Yeah. Oh, well, well, that's after. Yeah. Yeah. That's after uh, Iron Eagle, which is you know great for him. I don't. I've seen that movie a million times. I don't remember him, but then then again, I, he probably isn't a, a substantial character. Him, uh, you look at him, and you look at Sidney Fury, and they're both still in the business today. That's very true and and very impressive, especially and especially Gedrick. I mean, this guy still consistently gets work, yeah. which is a testament to him. You know, you know, good on him. But uh, anyway, so the movie has a phenomenal soundtrack yeah. of, of, of music, anywhere from Queen to Twisted Sister to James Brown. It is that those are actually my favorite parts of this movie or whenever he has the tape with or a tape. <laughs> yeah, like and the best of all, the one where I just guffawed was when he when he goes into the flight simulator and, and he actually tapes it around his leg. Yes. I was like, oh, that is just too awfully cool. You know, like one of those kinds of things. Uh, before I, before we get into the movie, one last thing. I was looking up reviews of this flick uh, to see what the general consensus was at the time. Unfortunately, I couldn't find one from Roger Ebert. It doesn't even seem like he bothered with this. But Kevin Thomas from the L.A. Times, whose name used to always pop up on the back of my VHSs, uh, really hit a quote that, after, especially after seeing the movie, I, I, I definitely tend to agree with these words. He's, Kevin Thomas wrote, this movie achieves a kind of perfection of awfulness that only an earnest effort could produce. It, it, it's one of the most backhanded compliments. Yeah. Because yeah, I, 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 I get it. Like, this movie is made with sincerity. I mean, there is a real, um, I, I don't want to say love for what everyone seems to be doing, but like, it's competently made. And it seems like there are certain bits of it that are from the heart, which is great for the film, I think. Because I, oh, yeah. this, this could have easily, I think, been approached in uh, we know this is cheesy. We know that this is ridiculous kind of way. And they don't necessarily go all in on that. And I think that, that I think it actually helps the movie. So the movie itself. <laughs> oh, man. So... This is this is pretty interesting. We have uh, an entire act one that could have been its own movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But but I love act one. I really do. Like, I always think, well, basically the first 20 minutes of your act one, act two is going to be the the bulk of the movie, the middle 50, 60 minutes. And then you get basically a 20 minute finale. But this entire act one is just something else. (laughs) You want to go into this a little bit? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the opening with his dad. And I, I, love, the, I love the fact when they get confronted, it, it's just – I forget even what the, um, what the quote, unquote, Libyans do. It's like they, they lock on and it's like, all right, well, that's it. It's on now, pal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, 
It's like, okay. And uh, now His, keep in mind, I, I had a friend of mine over who was who who stuck around longer than I thought she would, and she watched this with me, and she had no idea what it was. So I was like, oh man, oh this is gonna be interesting, you know. So so yeah, like to see that, and then immediately goes into uh, Jason Gedrick's character, Doug Masters. Uh, uh, I I don't know. This is an awesome name. <laughs> I, oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of of well named characters, and for, I, I don't think you could have followed up the lame ass name of Doug <laughs> any better than with Masters. Well, his dad like, is Ted Masters. Ted Masters, <laughs> yeah, Theodore Masters. <laughs> oh man, just hilarious. So there's this. It almost has a save the rec center kind of feel going on, where he's where he he lives on this naval base, and he's got a problem with these three oh, Air guys. Force base. Let's well, hey, see. Yeah. I already did. <laughs> I've already done it. I just yeah, that'll be the end of that. Yes, and uh, there's this this there's this mythical race that they're talking about, where it's basically a, a plane racing a a motorcycle, and there's this kid who has already done this, and I mean he's gone. He's like Pluto, man. <laughs> he's he is out there, and I I, I can't remember this kid's name Notcher. off the top of my head. Oh no no, not Notcher. Oh, I remember Notcher. Are you talking about um? Oh, the dead kid, yeah, the one who's Jimmy dead. Branson. Yes, okay, Branson. Yeah, they must they must mention him four or five times. Uh, like this is a very dangerous thing to do. It's 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 great. It's actually fairly suspenseful. Although I can't imagine there being no repercussions of them pulling this off, uh, having to have the plane stay under what is it fifty feet? Yeah, is that what? Yeah, and he clearly goes at least three or four hundred feet a couple of <laughs> God, times yeah. in the air. But it, but it doesn't matter. Like this is pretty well edited, if nothing else. You know, to be able to follow the action is is impressive. There are um, two things from this bit that made me laugh. One is the intro to Louis Gossett Jr. and his uh, character, where he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, you um, you got to adjust this, otherwise you're gonna stall and you're gonna wipe right. out like Jimmy Branson did." But he, I, I kind of doubt his mechanical abilities because he didn't have enough wherewithal to check the oil. <laughs> to right. tell him. I thought that too. <laughs> no, yeah, because that comes up later. It's like, oh, they sabotaged the the plane. How did Chappie miss that one? <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I just kind of let that go. I was like, all right, whatever. I mean, the other part sure. that I was gonna say it makes me laugh is when the um, he's. The problem happens in the plane. I forget exactly what it is, but the oil thing happens, and it's just spewing out, and it's crop dusting all over the place. And yep. um, his buddies are like, land the plane, Doug, land the plane. And then finally, he's like, I'm going to beat him. It's like, okay, go beat him, man. It's like, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite a flip. It's like, you want to kick his ass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go kick his ass. Yeah. I mean, you might crash, but yeah, the, the, the flip is instantaneous. <laughs> But very enjoyable. I mean, it was just okay. Like this is fine, and uh, he ends up winning the race, uh, just barely. But he he pulls it off, and then he knocks Nacho right out. And it's it's a great '80s punch. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. it's fantastic. Is it? Can you hear me now? I think that was the the one liner that he shot at him. That, that's, so that's what Verizon saw, and was right. one day like, you know what? That's that an Iron Eagle campaign. movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. So then we kick into Act Two, where uh, Doug and his family find out about the situation with his father, and oh man, this is—I'll be honest, man. This is where the movie takes a bit of a dip for me uh, because the whole, the whole time of having to 
process this information, trying to see if the Air Force is going to do anything about it, and which leads to what I thought was just a bafflingly hilarious scene where he's talking to, uh, I don't want to say Colonel, <laughs> but <laughs> but he's talking to a man who has authority, and and they basically describe why this happened. And this is so strange. And I mean, then this sounds very typical of America at the time, but I, I don't I really don't want to say that because who knows? I mean, it's typical of America in movies at the time where, OK, well, we think that the line is here, but the people who shot your dad's plane down think that the line is here. And it's basically like over a 100 mile difference. And why does America get to dictate where the line is in a foreign country? Like that, like that's that's my thing, and probably reading too much into what basically amounts to a cheesy '80s movie. But like that's it's kind of, it's bothersome in the way that Red Dawn is is kind of bothersome well, with its Russian stuff. This is where this movie gets really strange because on the surface it's very pro-America. It's like yes. we're just going to go over there and take care of business. I mean, even um, oh God, I'm forgetting um. His black friend. I'm, he's the one who says the line. What's his name? Uh, I believe it's – was it Reggie? Reggie. Reggie yeah. says uh, we don't have that peanut farmer in the White House anymore. Oh, We've got I caught that Ronnie too. Reagan. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Good call. I was like, okay, right on. So this is 1986. So we're in second term Reagan. So mm -hmm. then we have the scene with Admiral – what's his name? I'm just Joe. I don't know. what. It, whatever. Whoever he is. He's an admiral now. <laughs> <laughs> basically paints his picture of this is the problem with America is that now we have a, a, a thor we have a bureaucracy issues where we can't do simple things because there's all this crap that's in the way. So in a way the movie kind of is it's it's taking America to task because it's talking about the layers of government, again bureaucracy, not just in the government but in, even in the military that prevent simple things from going on because even as the audience, we are like, yes, they should go over and get Ted Masters. Why are they letting these guys just push him around? And so that's where the movie to me is fascinating because on the surface it seems like this pro-Reagan movie, but at the same time, and this is I think after Iran Contra, yes. it's it's a – I don't know. It's – I think it's taking the task. I'll, I'll, what I think a lot of people were frustrated with and still are to this day is why can't things get done because of all these administrative blocks in the way? That's a pretty good way to look at it. I didn't think of that. So, because yeah, the Air Force, they admit that they consider the line to be on this part of the coast, and they don't believe that Masters went over that line. They don't believe it at all, and yet they won't do anything about this. They won't do it, and that is a frustrating part of the movie, I guess. Uh, that it that the, that the actions of the Air Force lead Mas um, Doug Masters to do what he has to end up doing which is go save his father. So, yeah, yeah interesting point there. But um, so, like, because basically it's getting to a point where I, I just want him to get in the air. I want him to get in that plane and go get his dad and get Louis Gossett Jr. to go with him. Yeah. And, and I, I, I will say this. Louis Gossett Jr., he really is a great actor. Yeah. Uh, he, he adds a lot of levity to these scenes. Although, I mean, some of the lines that he has like, just kind of – they don't. They don't sit with me, hundred percent. I mean, he admits that he 
you know, or he more or less divulges the information that he fought in the Vietnam War, and yet he tells a group of, you know, ragtag children that they're the best group of men that he's ever worked with. (laughs) (laughs) And then again, these guys, those kids do it in less than 48 hours. Oh, it's incredible. (laughs) So so let's talk about this montage. The going to work montage. Yeah, there is a wonderful going to work montage set to We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister. And the that these kids pull. Uh, would oh man like there would be serious problems there on the okay. base just for the like just the setting off of the firecrackers oh my god <laughs> I, I i couldn't believe that they did that like everything else i'm like okay like everyone who works there is just a f-ing idiot <laughs> where yeah maybe i should get that paperwork done down at the uh, down at the office you know so they leave the room and the kid will screw around on the computer and it's fine but the setting off of the firecrackers is just Oh man! Like we, you know, we, you'd get in trouble just for doing that in a public school. Oh, yeah. Uh, just imagine what it would be like on an air force base. But they get the information. I, I don't know how they uh, they get all of the information that they need to get. I mean, there's no satellites involved here. Like with with how they they see what it looks like as to where Ted Masters is being held. But they they get all the schematics. Everything's taken care of. And it's, it's all down to Doug Masters and Chappie to go rescue Ted. And we finally get this sequence. Now, what do you think of these flying sequences? Uh, because this is very, I, I, you have to keep in mind, like these things, these aerial sequences were shot by, or choreographed, I should say, by the same guy that did Blue Thunder. And as you said, um, before we started recording, that he went on to do Top Gun and died. I think Which it's is, that or one of the guys. Exactly. I th- it might at the very least it's one of the guys. So yeah, that's and that's that's just terrible. <laughs> but it's it's just very strange. Like with this movie having the budget that it has, when when Doug and Chappie start shooting down these planes, these planes just explode. Yeah. Like we we don't really see the bullets flying or the rockets flying. Like it just immediately does a smash cut to the plane and it explodes. Hell, everything explodes. A fucking tent explodes in this movie it's it's outrageous but this whole plan of landing and then like what explain this to me because i couldn't figure this out why was ted masters why did they get him to drive a car like why did the terrorists get him to drive a car out onto the runway well that's um so when doug hits the radio on the he lights him up for a minute and he's like yeah i'm uh he tells him he has a squadron that's coming in with him so right. they think right. he's got he's got some clout behind him. So when he says, "Yeah, I, this is what I want," you put Ted Masters in that jeep and send him out to the runway, or I'm going to hit that refinery. They don't. He hits the refinery, and they're like, "Okay, <laughs> do what he says." But at the same time, and it's that dude. It's um, who's our villain of the picture? It's played by oh, it's Poirot. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to remember the. Had it written down or David Suche. Yeah. I, if, if that's the, yeah. I, and I look, he, he's, I remember from an executive decision. It's great. Yep. It's great. Oh, he's fantastic in executive decision. And yep. the, the in-laws was another one that I loved him in. The, the, the original? No, uh, the oh, remake. Oh, the remake. Oh, yeah. I like the remake. I, yeah. I was a fan of the remake. Cause mm-hmm. that's what made me laugh is I was thinking of him in this. So like when, uh, they're torturing Ted masters and <laughs> 
And he's and Ted, oh God, I, I love his lines. Especially when he's oh. like, you can take this confession and shove it up his ass. Yeah. The, way, the way the bad guy reacts, it's almost like he's turned on. He's like, oh. <laughs> oh. Well, everything in the 80s is homoerotic. Yes. But, so. but to answer your question or just finish it, they send him out there, but um, our main villain is on to, he's like, there's only one plane. There's only one so plane. So get a dude ready to execute. And that's kind of his own hubris. He may not have even had right. to do that, but he's just going to he's gonna put on this little show, which, of course, backfires on. Because he's got the worst sniper in the business. Dude, man, I don't know how you... Because he shoots Ted in the chest, yeah. but completely misses every vital organ. <laughs> he Nordberg him. <laughs> he Nordberg him. Yeah, and it should be mentioned, we kind of we kind of glossed over it, but it's Louis Gossett Jr., Chappie, his plane was shot down, and he had to hit hit the water, basically. So you're under the impression that, uh, especially if you didn't know that there were three sequels that only Louis Gossett Jr. bothered to show up for, that uh, Chappie's dead. And it's, man, it's hilarious. Oh, yeah, I'm so glad we, oh, the, <laughs> we're going back to it. So he leaves Doug a tape <laughs> to only play uh, at this point. So he plays this tape that's basically Louis Gossett Jr. playing Yo, um, uh, Ben Kenobi. Yeah. yeah, talking into him. And, man, some of the stuff he says, like the one line that really jumped out was, it's something like, uh, no one can take away what God gave to you. And you know what that is? The touch. <laughs> the, the touch. I mean, all right. <laughs> but uh, basically, Doug Masters makes short work of everything that's sent his way in terms of the terrorists and then goes one-on-one with Perot and, and just, man, <laughs> takes him out. And it should be mentioned that Perot, I was because I was wondering, I'm just going to keep calling him that, it should be mentioned that Earlier in the movie, it is kind of a throwaway line, and I wondered why they would even bother. And then, oh, because they have to set up the finale. Paul Rowe right. does happen to mention that he is a pilot. Right. And there's really no reason for him to bring this up. It's just a matter of fact, just so that they can get him in the air for some reason. I love the finale because because uh, when he's got – once again, we're talking about once Ted Masters gets in the cockpit, he's dropping one-liners. And when yeah. he, first he got um, – <laughs> What's his? What's the name you're using again? Oh, Poirot. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I think it's Agatha Christie's character, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. He gets on their tail and it's like, "Time to die, I are an eagle." <laughs> <laughs> but then, when like he just spins out of it like it's nothing, and he gets on his tail, and it's like, "So long, asshole." <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great! It's great, but. I couldn't help, and this is just post 9-11 thinking, I could not help but think if this was, if the, if the countries were switched, and this was America, and there was a foreign entity coming, like, in a, in a plane, and then attacking oil refineries, and just shooting shit up, and then demanding that we release one of our prisoners back to him, it just, he is, like, Doug Masters is absolutely a terrorist to these people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's... I hate saying that, but you know, I you know, it's a part of trying to understand why why the villains are acting the way they're acting. Yeah, like that. that it's just the way that it comes off. Even though Doug Masters is, I mean, he's he's a pretty cool character. Like like you were talking about the pro Reagan, the you know, the pro like this is America. I love when he's like defending his stance to Chappie, and he and he balls up his hand in that fist. Yeah, 
Like that, I was like, oh yeah, like, that's I mean, the good look stuff. at the kid. He's got that mullet. Oh, it's he's, an awesome. He's mullet. got the oh, aviator sunglasses. He's I'm glad got you a, brought up. I'm glad you brought. I'm glad you brought up the mullet. I want to talk about that real quick. Remember when they show the flashback scene with his dad, and he takes the helmet off, and he's got helmet hair, and then the camera cuts to Ted, and then it cuts right back to Doug, and the hair is perfect again. <laughs> oh, oh, I loved it. I did. I did. I mean, but, the first scene with him getting in the car, and he—I he, swear, I thought he, he drives used, a the way he car. hooks up. The audio in his car, I'm like, this is Charlie's it's me, car. man. Dude, I started laughing. I was like, it's like a 30-year-old a, a ver- version of what I'm doing the, right now. Just like, the way he's <laughs> driving to the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But you're right. The hair, the girl, the sunglasses, and the car. Like, this is – he's basically playing – or, or what Marty McFly is almost, almost at. Oh, yeah. You know, and they set it up just like Marty. It's like, oh, man, they do. doesn't quite have the grades to get into the Air Force Academy. He's got all the talent. Right. <laughs> That's another plot thread right there. That's right. He doesn't have the, he doesn't get into the Air Force Academy because his grades are too low. But, you know, that comes back around. So he saves his dad. Uh, he, he finally gets back up from, is this the Air Force? Like, who, or is this, like, something... Or is this something else? To, uh, I'm sure it's the Air Force, but uh, stationed at a base that's near where they are. Yeah, I think they said it's in uh, Greece. This is a little frustrating. Okay. Oh, we have you know, these guys could have done something to begin with, but they didn't. But that's that, that's politics. Right. But they, they lead him back, and son of a bitch, there's Chappie. He's alive. He <laughs> he's he swam to Egypt. What did he say? He found or <laughs> he got picked up by an uh, Egyptian trawler. Okay. Okay, so, it's 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 stuff like this. So like, they had three days to get this plan to work, which is they're, they're, this Air Force base is stationed out out of California. And so this is quite a flight, yeah. Like to go across the country. I mean, it's Libya. They don't say it, but it's Libya. And Chappie's there, and you're like, okay, like what's what's the conclusion of this movie going to be? Uh, I know that the sequels would lead me to believe that Louis Gossett Jr. is going to be fine, but there's got to be some repercussion here. And it's basically just a matter of the boards sta- standing there saying, you, if you keep your mouth shut, this will this all just blow over and we'll be just fine. You didn't start World War III or anything like that. And I'm just kind of, what? I, 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 like, that's fine, but there's also these other kids who knew about this plan. Right. You know, and I guess that they're just not going to be privy to the information, even though like the, the finale of the movie is them coming off the plane and the and these other kids who were involved in this plan like go up running to them. Oh, you did it. You did it. I'm like, and I just kept like thinking in my head, oh, my God, shut up. <laughs> you're you're going to ruin this. The one, but, of the one of the brilliant things, though, that they do is they use the voiceover of the reporter to kind of wrap up like. Right. So how is this going to be explained to you and me and the general public here? Well, Chappie was rumored to be involved right. in the rescue mission. Like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Even though he's getting one hell of a hero's welcome as he comes in. So the, the movie uh, ends with what the hell was that song? But what took what took my attention oh, – basically, I think the song was called Iron Eagle because that it was is. in the lyrics – but what's even stranger is that it has it has the blue background as the credits roll up, and it just made me think of the MPAA tag at the end of every movie. I, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie with 
just the blue backdrop over the credits. Yeah, I can't remember one necessarily either. Very strange. But that's Iron Eagle. Um, If you had to rate this movie on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give it? Um, You know, obviously 5 would be average, right? We're saying 5 would be average. So for me, I mean, like, I couldn't go any higher than 7. Sure. I mean, like, but I... I think overall, like as ridiculous as the plot may be, it actually like feels like it's fairly grounded a lot in terms Somewhat. of drama. I was surprised by that. And also like the way they treat the plane. Because they say in the combat, it's like, we can't go too fast. So we're going to burn too much fuel and then we're dead. And then it's, well, we don't have enough ammo to turn around and engage him. And it's trying to pick the lesser of the two evils. So the one thing that was interesting was how they – even maybe more so in Top Gun, like really got into a little bit more of the intricacies of flying a jet in terms of, you know, all the, all the things you need to think about when you're up there. Um, so that's like those little things this time watching it, like I'm comfortable with giving it a seven. I'm comfortable with that because I do think it's just incredibly enjoyable even to this day, but sure. I mean, and I know it's kind of this weird low point, but in that 45 minute, 45 minutes it takes before we're not going to take it kicks in. Like they do a hell of a job of really trying to, to build, like they're trying to, they're trying to, trying to build up that baby face for the comeback. You know? (laughs) Right. This is a kid against the ropes. Where do you put it? That kind of thing. Uh, If I mean, uh, I, it's tough for me because I, I imagine if I had seen this movie when I was younger, I probably would have just eaten it up. Um, as it stands, I don't think the reputation that it that it that it currently seems to have is warranted. I like, like you said, and I touched on it earlier. They could have gone all cheese on this movie, and we only get a little bit. Like they do take this somewhat seriously to a point, and. I, I appreciated that, and that's just from the standard of 2017 that uh, we're looking back on it with. So if I had to rate it, I'd, I'd probably end up giving it about a five. Uh, okay. I, I did enjoy it. I had a fun time with it, but it's mm, there's the dog fighting. Like I, honestly, I think that's probably my biggest uh, complaint with the movies. It was hard to tell sometimes, like. Which plane was which? Which one's going after which one? Which one is Masters even in? Right. But other than that, like it's it's a decent flick, and it's I'll tell you what holds it together, what rises it above true mediocrity is Lewis Gossett Jr. Yeah, he does a great job in this movie, and and that's a credit to him and what he was capable of doing as an actor. Now uh, to to wrap it up here, the the. Let's just, I hate using the word legacy, but this movie does have a bit of a legacy uh, to go with it. It did spawn three sequels, uh, uh, two of which were directed by Sidney Fury. Louis Gossett Jr. was in all of them. Um, Louis Gossett Jr. was pretty much typecast from there on out as this type of character. Hell, he's even played this type in a Family Guy episode, I remember. Uh, Sidney Fury... This guy, man, I mean, he follows this one up with Superman 4. Yeah. Which, I mean, I can't blame him for that movie. I mean, that that's just, that's canon films. <laughs> you right. know, that's right. that's a whole other podcast. But I but he did, but I, I saw this and I thought, oh, yeah, he did Ladybugs. And 
Ladybugs. I used to watch that all the time on TV. Fun movie. Um, Sydney Fury still is directing television shows direct to uh, on demand. But the thing that I love that I saw is that he still casts Louis Gossett Jr. in his in his uh, stuff. Yeah. And and that's great. Like like apparently like they have a good working relationship. And Louis Gossett Jr. I mean that guy's eighty years old now, and he's still work. They're all still working. Yeah, and that's, what's that's the best thing. That that is fantastic. Um, final talking point, and because you mentioned this, and I can't, I could after especially after seeing it, I couldn't help but think about it. A remake. Yeah. Why hasn't this movie been touched upon yet? I know. Like it just seems like this plot is very easily translatable to now. Mm-hmm. You could do it. Yeah. You could you could absolutely do this movie and just plug you no know, take Libyans out and plug in something else. Yeah. And like like this movie it, it it could I think it it's not it's not one of those 80s movies where you're like oh my god back to the future you can't remake that. You could remake Iron Eagle. And it's it's a good it's a good it's a good enough story to warrant it. I I've never even heard anyone mention it for a remake. Which is odd to me. It's it. I think this would appeal to both age demographics of kids and grownups. I I really do, especially if you put the right people in it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Iron Eagle. It's available on DVD, uh, iTunes. You can only purchase it, and and same with Amazon. They're in about the seven or eight dollar range. And it's it is a movie worth checking out if you like this type of of flick, or if you are a fan of that decades. Lesser known movies. I sad to say, um, but anyway, that's Iron Eagle. Uh, I am Charlie Stabile. Where are you? You are. are... <laughs> I, I was oh, usually oh, <laughs> right. Oh, see, first episode, man, you forget to do the fucking handles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we, we're going to see you next time um, on the show with screeners and dailies and. The next movie that's going to be covered on when did that come out is FX from February 1986. Yeah. At, and I am Charlie Stabile at CM underscore Stabs. And I'm William Rankin at William Rankin 83. And we will see you next time for Screeners and Dailies. <laughs>